make sure that you're having strong relationships with the other leaders in your company. That'll go a long way into making sure that you're actually doing the right things to support your organization. You're listening to KBCast, the cybersecurity podcast for all executives. Cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now, here's your host, Carissa Breen. Joining me today is Mike Johnson, CISO from Fastly, and today we're discussing what will shape a security team in 2023. So Mike, thanks so much for joining. I've seen a lot of your content on LinkedIn. You've got quite a strong voice in the market. So I thought, you know, what a better person to ask about building a team and shaping a team in 2023. So let's start off with, you know, shut off the bat, like, what do you mean when you say shape a security team in 2023? Sure. So first of all, thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here and and really looking forward to the conversation. When I think about shaping a security team, what I'm really trying to do is look back, learn from the past year or so, and then look ahead, get out the crystal ball. When I then start digging further is... What are the trends and how are we thinking about what we've learned and trying to plan what is coming? How can we shape a team? What are the responsibilities? What is the front and center things that we're thinking about? And when I'm looking into the year, I'm kind of looking forward, I really think about prioritization and capacity. How do you decide what to do? How do you decide the priority of it, your your list, your top 10 list, as it were? But then how do you get it done efficiently? Now, more than ever, security teams are being asked to do more and more. And there's larger economic factors that say resources are not going to astronomically increase. So how can we get that work done efficiently? The only way that we can actually do more is to prioritize. And in the security world, prioritization, we have this natural concept built in us. That's what we think about, about what are our biggest risks. And you can leverage that way of thinking to create that prioritized list so that you can come up with What are the things that I need to do first, second, third, fourth, fifth, rather than I've got a hundred things that I all need to get done at once. So I think about the fact that risk is really shaping what teams should be working on. And we should lean into that. And we should really leverage that natural prioritization model that we have. But then the other part is how do you then, now you have this list, how do you get through that list most efficiently? And I really see really two primary but closely related avenues for that. One is automation. What are ways that we can have machines do things that we've traditionally asked humans to do? And it is giving people express lanes, making the secure way the easy way so that in a way you're deputizing the rest of the org by giving them easy paths, by giving them, I know that you need to do this thing. If you do it this way, 
then there's not any additional work that we need to do. We're all kind of working together towards the common goal. And that increases the efficiency of improving the security of the organization. Okay, super interesting. A lot of things in there. One of the things that I'm really curious to know from you, Mike, is you talked about prioritization. Now, that when we're talking, it sort of sounds easy, right? Oh, like, oh, but the top yes. three things you've got to do, right? But you've got like a thousand. So how do people like start doing this? Like give me an example of what people can do. Because again, like at the start of the year, we all sit down. It all seems all great. These are top three things we're going to do. And then the year starts and then things just start really going downhill. It's just not a perfect world, right? So how do people effectively do this? And then how do they stay doing it? So the first part, and it's rich, is go and talk with other people in your company. Go and talk with the other leaders and say, what are you worried about? What's the thing that's top of mind for you, especially with related to security, but in general, understand everyone else's priorities. And that is a way of taking a look at this big pile, this thousand item pile of risks, and you already have some built-in prioritization that's frankly already done by other folks that, that they're looking at it within their world. But that's where you start. Like obviously it's not going to give you everything. But if you then take that and look at uh, what are the harms to the business? What are the potential harms? What is like the standard risk equation of likelihood and impact? What are the things that are going to hurt the most if they happen? And what is the likelihood that they will? And that, again, gives you a way of ordering this big pile of risks that you have to deal with is always be thinking about how much harm can it cost the company? And then what's the likelihood, the frequency, what is the chances of that actually happening? So you, you raised a great point before you said, Going and talking to the business, like, what are they worried about? Like, what do you think? Now, I know this is a bit of a hard question, but I've just maybe given an example of if security practitioner or if you're a CISO, you go internally and you start talking to the business, like, what are you worried about? What are the types of things that sort of people say? And do you start to see like a common theme or trend? What you'll generally find is it'll be very customer impacting. Whatever business you're in, you have customers. And as you're talking with the other leaders, they know what their customer is looking for. It could be, I'm at a financial institution and I don't think that our customers want to have their money stolen. And then these are all the ways that we've seen our customers be attacked before. That gives you an idea of the area that particular leader is worried about. It could be that you're concerned about uptime, availability. Is your service available? If you're an e-commerce company, for instance, and your shopping cart is unavailable, people can't buy the thing. If they can't buy the thing, they're not going to buy it and you're not going to make the money. And that's another natural, again, prioritization. It's like, okay, well, we need to make sure that the shopping cart is available and accurate. But a, a lot of it, you know, tell you what their concerns are, but it'll really be around how does the company make money and how does the company protect itself from losing money? And that's on the regulatory side. What are the regulations that we're worried about? Are we having to deal with 
specific privacy regulations that have potential fines associated with them? Are we having to deal with industry regulations such as PCI around how we can handle and process credit cards? If we don't meet PCI somehow, then people can't buy our products with credit cards. So you've got, you know, another way of thinking about it all is what are the ways that your company makes money and what are the ways that your company prevents itself from losing money? And this is where it gets interesting because I've spoken to a number of leaders on this show about, okay, so we've got a security team. They're there to protect the business, protect assets, protect customers' data, et cetera. And then I've also spoken to people and they're like, you know, we, as security practitioners, we're always saying like, you've got to understand about security. But then I've had people sort of say to me, well, do we as security practitioners understand how the business makes money? How does it work? So do you find, I mean, with your experience that maybe in the past people have lost sight of, you know, you're not just there to practice security, right? Like you're there to actually protect an organization, which then comes with understanding fundamentally how a business works, the mechanics, how it makes money. Oh, absolutely. I think it's very easy to lose sight of that. You get caught up in maybe there's another advanced adversary who's making the news and you go and focus on that. And it's not even someone who's targeting your company or your market, but it seems like something that you should be worried about. And that's because you've lost track of how your own company makes money. Putting up arbitrary barriers don't really provide meaningful improvement on security, but in fact, slow the business down. So you have this almost, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't call it perfect storm, but this confluence of we're not getting any additional improvement in security from the work that we're putting in and we're slowing the business down. And that's where I really think that you can see some of that impact of Hey, you've taken your eyes off the ball and you're really putting security ahead of the business where the reality is, like you said, security is here to protect the business. We're here to serve the business. And if you lose track of that, you make bad decisions. So how do we ensure that our team isn't losing track? Because this sort of is the undertone for the prioritization, right? Like people are sort of going off track, focusing on things that has nothing to do with their business. They're focusing on adversaries that are like nothing to do with them potentially or not targeting them. How do we maintain that? Because I guess, again, it's going back to the start of our conversation around the, the priorities. Some of it. So I think there's a few different ways that you look at it. Some of it is you keep your eye on the list of priorities and keep talking about that. We have quarterly retrospectives where we're looking back of what we've done in a quarter, speaking specifically for my team, what have we done? And then looking forward of what's coming next. And that make, that's one real way of making sure that we keep track of it. But all of our work, all of our project work, we tie it back in. What is... You know, this particular project that I'm working on right now, this change that I'm making, how does that map in and map back to our list of risks? And that way, by maintaining that linkage, it makes sure you don't take your eye off the ball. Like you're, you know what risks you're keeping an eye on. But the other thing is active participation within 
the business side of the business. We have a weekly internal review of how we're supporting our customers. So myself and several members of my team attend that meeting so that we can keep a pulse on the customer, on customer sentiment. And it's a good reminder of what we're here for. So it really, it's a matter of, you know, on, on one hand, staying nose down in your prioritization of your risk and keeping one eye on that. And the other, keeping your other eye on what is the business doing, what is important to them, what is the state of the business, and how are customers interacting with us as a business? How to, what is overall customer sentiment? How customers think of us? And that reminds you why you're here. So from your perspective, Mike, what can we see sort of change this year in terms of security teams? You said something before that obviously people want to do more with less now and sort of budgets are tightening and people are getting laid off and things are, you know, chopping and changing. Like, what do you sort of see? I see much more adoption of automation and usage of external services. You know, as I said, let's have computers do the things that are boring, that are repetitive, that there's patterns where a computer can just look at it and go, yeah, this is the same thing over and over again. We're okay. We don't need to do anything about this. Or the computer can go ahead and do some of the research around, you know, if we look at this particular attack path or this particular key address or file name or file hash or something like that, gain additional knowledge and information about that and potentially escalate or raise an alarm to say, no, this is really important. This is the thing that the humans should take a look at right now above all else and go respond to it. So I think there's a, a huge opportunity for automation that we can get more capacity out of our teams. We can have, uh, we can have our humans concentrating on things only humans can do versus turning the crank of repetitive tasks that can easily be automated. So automation is one thing. The other side, and I'm expecting to see more of, is outsourcing. And it's not so much outsourcing teams, but outsourcing capabilities or functions. There's a lot of outsourced security operation centers or SOCs, managed detection response vendors, where you can gain some economies of scale that you're paying essentially for a fraction of a person rather than trying to build your own team who can be 24-7 always having hands on a keyboard. That's expensive to staff that solely for your own company, especially if you don't have that much activity going on at any one point in time. Leveraging an external service can really help can give you essentially that same capability of 24-7, there's always someone monitoring without having to try and staff that. And again, that means that you can deploy your capital, your budget in a different way and something that is more specific, more homegrown for your own company versus something that's perhaps more commodity. Get it. And that makes sense. So on the outsourcing side of things, now I hear what you're saying. It's a fraction of the price. You get someone 24-7 and you know, you're know you getting someone that's doing this day in, day out. 
What is sort of the impetus for people wanting to build their own capability when they just could potentially outsource it for a fraction of the price as well as, you know, getting someone who specializes in that area too? Now, I understand that people want to retain internal capability. I understand that. But do you think that this will be more of a trend that as security teams are, you know, changing and, and moving, that they, they do want to outsource hyper-specialization to certain firms? Because, I mean... Look, even the last like decade or so, historically, people would outsource all their IT or security operations just to one firm. But now that's changing. They may have six different companies that they work with because they are hyper-specialized in a particular area. So what are your sort of thoughts on that? Like, what's the mindset? Like, why are people sort of now maybe changing their view on things? It's an interesting question. And I kind of harken back to the riot computing, where there is this time that everyone felt this need to hug their servers. Like they, they didn't feel like they could send their computing tasks elsewhere or their data outside of their own walls because there was a trust element. And I think this is a similar concept where there's a need to build trust when you're leaning on somebody else to help protect you. How do you gain a level of belief, understanding, again, trust that they're not going to miss something, that they're going to let you know when something is going bump in the night, that they have the capacity, knowledge to make those difficult decisions to handle the research appropriately. So I think it's a very similar concept to where Eventually, there is enough trust in some of these, in some of the cloud providers that everyone else looked at it and said, well, if, you know, big bank is trusting cloud provider A, I, maybe I can trust cloud provider A. And I think you'll see more and more of that in the managed services world that as people can wrap their minds around, yes, it's possible that somebody externally can do this. They have playbooks. They know how to integrate. You'll see more of it, a combination, both because, as you said, there's specialization, there's expertise, really difficult for a company themselves to build internally and maintain. But there's also cost factors in play that we can't just do less security. We can't say, well, we're going to be less secure. You have to find ways to spend your money in smart ways to really elevate your security game. And there's just some natural economies that I think are going to drive folks to more and more of that that managed services play. That's a really interesting point. So, okay. Now, Something that I'm super interested to understand is with what you're saying, do you think over the coming years, okay, just say, I don't know, a couple of years time, like, you know, you come back on the show and we talk again, do you think that security teams internally will sort of shrink now? I don't mean they're non-existent, but maybe they're not the same sort of size that they are today because they are leveraging external capability because yes, of cost purposes, but also maybe they're better at doing something than you are internally at building something super hyper-specialized, for example. I don't know a single security leader that I've spoken to who said, we're full up. We've got all all the help that we need. 
What I think you're more likely to see is the growth curve of security teams might come down a little bit. I think that even with the usage of external services, you still have to have the relationship concept. That doesn't go away. You have to have the relationship managers in order to make sure that those service providers are doing what you need them to do. But also, like you said, there are things that are hyper-specific to your own company that it is difficult to find a service provider to take that on. And the way that I see the advantage of using serv- of external services, one is the cost angle, but also it's that ability to focus on the things that are unique to you, unique to your business, and f- focus on those while letting the service providers handle the more commodity things. So I don't think it's that we're going to see teams get smaller, but what we'll see is teams get more hyper-focused on themselves and specific to their own company, and that's where they spend all of their time, with the commodity areas not being where they're investing. They're not going and building, as an example, large internal socks because so much of what a sock does is similar from one company to another. So it gives you the opportunity of treating it as a commodity. But how you handle the configuration of your own internal customized services that talk with each other in unique ways and what is the authentication model and the authorization model for service-to-service communications, that's where you can spend your time. That's what you can concentrate on. You said growth curve. What do you mean specifically when you say that? Just want to press on that a little bit more. Sure. Sure. I, I think over the past few years, the entire security field has been growing at an extreme rate larger than percentage year-over-year growth rate of higher than engineering or software development, higher than other IT roles. It's very much been, we feel that there's a lot of catch-up that we need to do. And so companies have been investing heavily in security over the past few years because it hadn't been such an area of investment in the past. There's so much catch-up going on that the size of security teams year over year are growing at a percentage rate of over the previous year, more so than engineering teams, more so than product teams or marketing teams or legal teams. Just that amount of budget and team size year over year has been unlike anything unlike any other field that I've seen. And that's what I'm expecting will slow down a little bit and become more rational. A security team that's growing 50% year over year at a company that the company itself is growing 30% year over year, that's a weird situation. And at some point that doesn't work anymore. And that doesn't sense anymore for a company. So that's what I expect that we'll see is the rate of growth of security teams will be much more in line with the rate of growth of the companies that they are supporting. Yeah, that's interesting. And I guess it's sort of, there's a couple of things in there as well. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, large tech companies now, and I'm, you know, security is 
part of that, but more broader technology, you know, they're laying off staff. But I think if you actually sort of do a little bit more digging, it's actually because they had that rapid growth and they're like, oh, well, you know, now some of the projects are finishing up and we don't like, do I need these people or we're leveraging automation. So I guess it's, you know, things can't keep going up rapidly like that much, right? Like eventually they got to come down and it's like how economics is like, even with the inflation, like a bit, you know, has to come down. So I think that we're going to sort of see this shift. Do you think as well, and I was really listening to what you were saying, which was awesome and really insightful. Do you think, I mean, over the last few years, people have spoken about this whole gig economy thing. So we're going to see more people like, you know, smaller sort of companies, not not necessarily like the shrinking of the team, but just they're going to be leveraging external capability more because they know that they can, again, there's people that are better at doing that one thing than perhaps they can do, as well as the cost factor. Do you think what we've spoken about today, if you zoom out, this will lend itself to the overall sort of trend with how businesses overall are doing business? I think there's a possibility there. And frankly, I I think it's an inevitability. There's sort of a push for security to have a seat at the table, to be part of business impacting decisions. And that means that we naturally need more like a business and we need to be looking at the same constructs, capabilities, methods that our fellow leaders are using within a team. So I would expect that if gig, if the gig economy, and I'm jury's out on this, but if the gig economy does become a situation where you can have a very specified task and say, I need somebody to do this task and then give me a deliverable when it's done. If you can do that within security, may, maybe. Like I, I think that'd be an interesting way of building capacity, especially burst capacity, which is what you need in security, where this can go along fine for a while and an incident happens and you really need to get a lot done in a very short period of time, the ability to have that burst capacity to ramp up quickly, deliver, and then go back into more of a steady state, I think it'd be healthy if we can get there. Yeah. I mean, look, who knows? It's just more so having that discussion and thinking about it and looking at what you know what's happened over the last couple of years and where we're headed. So I think, again, like we don't have all the answers. It's just shedding some light on some of those questions that I have. Now, what about sort of team structure? Do you think we'll sort of see any dramatic shifts over the next sort of 12 months or so? Or what are your predictions? It's hard to say. I think the reality is there's not a, there's not a golden formula for what security team layout should be. I talk with a lot of fellow security leaders and... I've yet to find two teams that are laid out exactly the same. I think it's something that we just haven't settled on and we haven't really figured out if even there is a universal formula. So it's hard to say what teams are going to look like going forward. But what I will say is I expect to see more engineering brought into security teams, more capabilities to bring automation to bear, to get the most out of systems, to get creative on solving problems rather than spend rather than a security team spending most of their time on consultation. 
I really see more and more security engineering as a growth area pretty consistently across companies. There, there was a quote, I'm going to completely mess it. It was basically every company is a software company. And I really think what you're going to see out of that is every security team needs to have an engineering capability to be able to scale, to be able to handle the amount of work that's being expected of us, the work that we need to get done to support an organization without bringing more and more technology to bear with more and more automation. There's no way we can do that. That's the universal thing that I expect to see more of is more engineering. Beyond that, it's really hard to say, and it's going to be really dependent on what is important to the company, what business they're in, what are the ways that they make money, and what are the ways that they prevent from losing money. Do you think as well, Mike, it may be sort of an exercise to understand, I mean, you touched on it before, like outsourcing commoditized services, right? Do you think that maybe this is the time now at the start of the year before things get quote unquote busier, but I mean, <laughs> look, things are always busy in the security world. So do you think that now it may be a good time for leaders to sit back and say, okay, like looking at their budgets and if things are, if, you know, the tightening of their budgets and all these types of things, that now's a good time to sort of say, well, you know, not really doing much of this function, but we still need it. So maybe we can outsource it or maybe it's, it is heavily commoditized. We don't really need a whole internal capability. So do you think you'll start to see some of those shifts that come into play this year? I think so. And I think a lot of organizations and security leaders have already done this. They've already planned for their budget for this year and are looking at leveraging external services and looking at leveraging automation. It's a good time to be thinking about that when we're in a more lean place from a macroeconomic perspective. Things that we can do now that we can be scrappy about, that we can learn how to get the most out of what we do will serve us well when things aren't quite as tight. We'll be in a better place in the future based on the work that we do now. So it really, it's good timing, you know, both at a macro level, but also at the more micro level in, you know, the year timeframe, things always get busy at the end of the year and you always have less capacity to do it. The start of the year is absolutely the right time to plan for what the rest of the year is going to be. Allocate your resources, think about what you're going to outsource and be intentional about it and think about what are the ways that you're, the dollars that you spend, what can you get the most value out of them? So you said that you speak to a number of cybersecurity leaders. What do you think from your perspective that you've noticed that leaders are doing well in terms of their team or how they're shaping their team or their structure? Any sort of insight there? I think a lot of the security leaders that I talk to, and it's, you know, most of them, they're really good at, at they're good at being decent human beings and recognizing that they need to support their own teams, that they need to be there and make sure that their teams are getting the help that they need, getting the support that they need, getting the recognition that they need. Once you've kind of reached a security leadership perspective, you understand that. And you understand that it's not about you. It's about your team and how you can help them. And so I'm, I'm seeing 
that vacation. I'm seeing that folks are fighting for their teams, looking for resources, protecting them from prioritizations, you know, wild swings. And I think that's something that most security leaders I know are good at. And that, again, helps them get things done because their team in return is going to help the company and help the team get the right things done that need to be done. What about areas of improvement? Now, I know that's can be a tough question to answer, but it's just more so that because you have quite a bird's eye view and you are speaking to a number of different organizations and different verticals and different industries, perhaps you've got very good insight on that. As an industry, we still struggle is how do we show the business value that the team provides for the company? What is it that we do at a, you know, how do you put a dollar figure on we protect the company? That's really difficult to do. And I think that's something that as an industry, it's an unsolved problem. We're more and more moving into security metrics. That's a, it's a field that's been around for a few years. It hasn't been as important in the past as it is now. When you're having to fight for budget because overall there's less budget available, having metrics to show what you do, how you're delivering on the promises that you're making, that's really powerful in going a long way of maybe not putting a dollar figure on We Protect Company, but it gets you closer. And I just, I, in general, that showing the business value is something that is still very difficult for most security leaders to do. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Someone who's historically used to develop reports for internal CISOs to then deliver to executives to say, hey, like, here's a report, like, we need more money. So, totally understand. I think narrative is super important, the landscape and how we convey, like, this is what's happening in our market. Look, it's not easy. It is difficult. Would you say overall, though, well, not overall, but generally that businesses or executives in businesses still don't get the value and then therefore security is overlooked a lot when it comes up to budget? Because I mean, it can be a lot easier to justify ROI when you're talking about a sales team because, hey, we're going to go and hire 50 more sales guys because they're going to drive 50 more million dollars. It's a little bit easier. It doesn't work the same way in security. And I think that's the problem. That's the thing that we still haven't figured out how to solve is to say what the ROI for security is. I'm, I've yet to find someone who can give me an ROI model for security that makes sense. It's so difficult to put a dollar figure on nothing happening. And that's where we're at is if we go and spend a billion dollars and nothing happens, is that because we spent a billion dollars? Is that because no one was interested in us? Is it because we got lucky? That's the fundamental problem that we have in security is to be able to translate the value of a thing not happening. You can look at an ROI for sales. It's very clear. And I don't think it's generally that it's an issue that an executive is saying, eh, I don't, see, I don't think security is valuable. 
they're trying to fit it into their existing mental models. And mm. that's the challenge. And that's also the opportunity that we have is as we understand business better and the business that we're a part of better, we can have those conversations and meet those other executives where they are. That then works out much better in terms of answering the questions of how much should we spend? Why are we spending it? Even when there's not a clear ROI, but maybe we can get to a point one day where we can actually show the ROI of security. I'd love to get there. I just haven't seen a model yet. Yeah, I know. I know exactly what you're saying. Then it's hard. But it's sort of like insurance though, right? In, like, in terms of mindsets, so it's like no one really wants to like pay for insurance or like house insurance or like whatever it is, car insurance. Then if something does happen, which can happen, which can completely be out of your control, whether it's a catastrophic event or someone hits you in their car or whatever it is, you're like thinking, well, thank gosh I have that because I would be up for you know more money if I didn't have that. So it's sort of that mindset. I know it's like a bad example, but it's the thing I can think closest to it, whereas... Like if nothing happens, yeah, I still had to pay for it. But then if something did happen, I still have that level of security there in terms of that mindset. If the insurance model comparison has a few problems. One, there are, it's a higher frequency of events. If your, if your company was constantly being broken into, you'd actually have a better idea of what the cost of an event or an incident was. I know some companies actually have really solid models around the cost of an account over. So if, a, if one of their customers' accounts is taken over, they know how much that's going to cost because they can model out the, either the loss of the business entirely or the return of making the customer whole. But most of us don't have those models. And the insurance world has decades of incidents that they can look at and they can say, this is how much an incident is going to cost. And this is the frequency that it's going to take. It's more analogous to catastrophic insurance in California de-earthquake insurance. Since I've lived in California since 2008, I've never been through an earthquake that actually caused any damage. It could yeah. happen tomorrow and it would be really catastrophic. But I have to make the trade-off of, well, if it never happens and I'm, and I'm paying for it, do I actually feel good about what I'm spending there? And the insurers have the models to say, it's unlikely that there's going to be an event. So we can charge a small amount for that insurance. Whereas in the security world, it's difficult to, we don't really have a good set of models around frequency mm. and impact to be able to say, here's the right amount to spend in order to protect ourselves. And that's the disconnect between spend on security and spend on insurance. You're absolutely right that insurance, you want to never have to use it, but you're still paying for it and you have a level of comfort around that as a result. And there's absolutely that parallel. 
But there's so much data in the insurance world that we haven't been able to build up in the security world in order to really have a direct comparison there. I totally understand what you're saying. So just probably lastly on that point, Mike, because this is interesting. Do you think like over time we'll be able to sort of build a model because we're going to have various data points? Because I mean, security is still like relatively immature industry. Like we don't have like hundreds and hundreds of years of you know, records and things like that. So do you think like, I don't know, in 20 years time, you come back on the show, you're like, hey, that thing we spoke about 20 years ago, KB, <laughs> we've got that now. So do you think it's just going to be a matter of time before the industry matures a bit more that we have some type of model to go on to sort of to base things on? I, I hope so. I think we have to. And we're starting to see some evidence that might materialize. You've got some of the approaches around quantitative risk modeling where you can really come up with a rough idea of a dollar impact of a particular risk that then gives you some idea of you know if this risk is going to cause a million dollars of damage to my company and can reduce it significantly by spending a hundred thousand dollars then that might make sense to invest that $100,000 versus if this risk is going to only cause $10,000 worth of damage to my company, doesn't make sense to spend $100,000 on a control for that. So we're starting to see some more and more of that as a practice. We're also starting to see the publishing of compendiums of security incidents where we're seeing breach reports being published on an annual basis that are an assembly of hundreds or thousands of security breaches that happened within that year. So we're starting to get some data from that we can use to influence our decisions. Those give me some hope that we can actually get to a point where we can bring some sanity to the to our field and make sure that we're spending appropriately for what we're actually getting versus today it's very much a dark art so you know i hope to come back and have this conversation in 20 years and say it's solved look at all the data that we have and we're able to apply scientific and financial method to, to all of this i have that hope and uh we'll see Sanity is always a great, a great way to, you know, start your day and to end your day with. So let's see in 20 years. I'm certain I'll still be doing this podcast in 20 years. So let's see. Uh, in terms of um, any closing comments or final thoughts, Mike, would you like to leave our audience with today? Really what I would ask people to think about is look at your security organization and how you're supporting the business. Um, make sure that you've got relationships with all of the other leaders within your company, check in with them on a regular basis, have one-on-ones on a regular basis. So you can keep that pulse, not only on what is important to them and how you can help out with what is next for them, but also to get their perspective on how your team is supporting theirs. It's very easy for a security team to become the department of no And if you're having those regular conversations, then you can kind of read the tea leaves or get some some hints before it really becomes a problem. 
you need to have these relationships with other leaders. So that that's really the thing that I would leave for folks is make sure that you're having strong relationships with the other leaders in your company. And that'll go a long way into making sure that you're actually doing the right things to support your organization. I love it. Love it, love, love, love it. So thank you so much, Mike, for your time. I really enjoyed this conversation. I think that, again, we don't have all the answers, but it's about having these discussions to learn from one another, for our audience to learn from you about your insights and your knowledge. And I do appreciate you taking the time today to come on the show to share some of your knowledge uh, with our audience today. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, KB. It was wonderful sitting down and having the conversation. I love the questions. I love the insights that you were bringing to it. So I really appreciate you to have the conversation. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes. This podcast is brought to you by MercSec, the specialists in security, search and recruitment solutions. Visit MercSec.com to connect today. If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to KBI.digital. This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media, the voice of cyber.